verse 1, reading to the end, so verse 22. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahon and Chilion. They were Epaphrodites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the hill country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the fields of Moab, they, she had heard in the fields of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you, therefore, would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. An orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me me back empty.
Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Uh, thanks very much, Tom. Uh, great to see everyone here today, uh, particularly if you're new and it's your first time, you're, you're very welcome. Um, we're looking then at Ruth uh, over the next four weeks here at Gospel in the City. And um, last week, we, we spent a little bit of time thinking about the, the issue generally of where is God when it hurts? And we looked at, at Naomi, and we, we looked at this woman who returns to her hometown after many years away. And... Um, and her friends gather around to kind of find out all about her. And uh, this woman is called Lovely, or in Hebrew, her name is Naomi. But as her friends gather around uh, to, to speak to her, she says, uh, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, she says. I had, two hu- I had a husband and two sons, and now I've come back empty. My two sons and my husband, I've left buried in the fields of Moab. I don't think Naomi's being overdramatic here. Uh, Even apart from the the terrible emotional cost of losing your husband and your two sons, uh, in in the reality and situation of Naomi's time, uh, Naomi really was kind of at rock bottom uh, economically, because in that society you needed really to have some sort of man to provide for you. Um, so she has kind of no hope, really, of anything other than a life on, uh, on the breadline, on rock bottom. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. She's bitter. And many of us, I guess, could maybe say the same thing or have said the same thing at certain points in our lives. We've been in a dark place. We know what it's like to be angry with God. We know what it's like to be hurting. We know the reality of suffering. And so I hope in a way it's encouraging, as Tom was saying, to to see this testimony here in the Bible to the reality of suffering. Naomi says, the Lord has made my life really bitter. It is rubbish for Naomi. It's awful. It's beyond that. But we also saw last week that the Lord has got a bigger plan for Naomi. He refuses to allow her to be called bitter. He's going to keep calling her lovely because he's got a better story in mind for her. And so this week, we're going to begin to follow this story of of Lovely and her daughters-in-law. And we're going to see how it actually shows us a lot about our own spiritual journey, how we can begin a journey back to the Lord. So there's there's three big steps in this this story that we're going to look at today. We won't be able to look at all the detail in this passage, but we've got three big steps. And the first one's this, we have wandered away. Uh, Apologies for the kind of large handouts there. I couldn't get the double-sided printing to work this morning, but you've got a lovely diagram that we'll get onto uh, shortly. So we've wandered away. So verse 1 introduces us to this family from a place called Bethlehem in Judah. And literally, Bethlehem means house of bread, or I'm going to call it bread house, okay? So this is a family from bread house, and they go and live in the country or the plains or the fields of Moab. And then in verse 2, we get all the names of everyone in this family, which Tom uh, read for us very well. 
Um, and names are really important in the book of Ruth. So let me tell you what these names mean. Elimelech, that means my God is king. Okay? Uh, we've already seen that Naomi's name means lovely. And then we've got these two sons, uh, Machlon and Kilian. Um, I'll tell you what their names mean in a second. But there's something, there's something odd. If you understand what those names mean, there's something odd as we even begin this story, which is a man whose name is my God is king uh, decides to leave bread house to go and look for bread somewhere else. Okay, that's, a, that's an odd decision, isn't it? There's a famine that has come into Bethlehem, to the house of bread. But interestingly, the guy whose name reflects a belief that God is king, that he is in charge of the world, and able to keep his promises, actually decides to go looking for bread in a foreign country, this place called Moab. Um, and actually, apparently, those who have been to, um, to Israel tell me that it's really a very short distance from Israel to Moab. It's kind of like the distance from Londonderry to Donegal, okay? It's not far. But there is a massive spiritual distance between these two countries. Um, if there was going to be a kind of a hard spiritual border anywhere, it would be between Israel and Moab. So I think there's a, there's, there's a lot of contrast between Israel and Moab. One of them is just in the way that we're, we're, we're talking about these two places. So I think you're meant to see a contrast between bread house, okay, a kind of a cultivated place with lots of bread, and then the plains of Moab or the fields of Moab. Every time it says uh, the country of Moab or the uh, fields of Moab in our translation, it's, it's, it's all the same phrase, the fields of Moab. It's this kind of desolated land in some ways. It's not got the kind of cultivation. Um, but there's even more to it than that. Um, Moabites had a really bad reputation by this point. Um, firstly, they, they were sort of ignorant. Um, when the Israelites were wandering around, in the, in, around near Moab looking for some food, they asked the Moabites for bread, and the Moabites said, no way, we're not going to help you. Okay? So they're ignorant. But then, perhaps even worse than that, Moabite women had a reputation for bringing idolatry into Israel. There was a time in the Israelite story in the book of Numbers where um, Israelite men uh, took up with Moabite women and idolatry came into the camp and it was an utter disaster. Okay? So when we're, when we're seeing Moab um, in this story, we're not just seeing a sort of a nice place to go on a, on a package holiday. We're seeing a sort of spiritually barren place, a place that's full of idol worshippers, full of people who have rejected God and haven't helped his people. It's a strange and even sinful decision to go looking for bread in Moab instead of staying in the house of bread in Bethlehem. And so interestingly enough, verse 3, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, dies. And Naomi is left with her two sons. They then uh, take up some of these dreaded Moabite wives. Um, and then soon enough, verse 5, they also die. And I'll tell you what their names mean. Uh, their names mean, um, uh, well, th their names mean um, sickly and perishing. <laughs> okay? Um, now, I don't know if they're their original names or not, or if, if they're the names that the writer's kind of using here to kind of describe what's going to happen to them, because that's ultimately where they end up. They're kind of blotted out of this story. They've perished from the story. And so the writer's sort of saying, well, this is kind of what happens to them. They're nobodies as far as this story is concerned. Um, so th so that's, where we, that's where we're left in Moab. You've got Naomi left alone with these two Moabite daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Um, so 
let's have a look at this handout now, just to kind of give you a sense of this. Geography is really important in the book of Ruth, but we're really talking about spiritual geography. And I think this is the kind of, this is the kind of view that we've got to have um, about, about these locations. Bread House, I've done it in that kind of square in the middle of the diagram, because it's kind of like the centre of God's universe. Uh, Judah, the promised land, and particularly in this story, Bethlehem is the place where God has promised to be with his people, to provide for them, to protect them in the house of bread. And so it's ordered and it's kind of, it's a good place. And then outside of the promised land, outside of bread house, is is a world of chaos, a world away from God, a world of idolatry and disruption. And that's the kind of the plains of Moab in this story, okay? And so can you see that when, when these guys go to Moab, they're taking a journey away from the Lord. They're wandered away from the Lord. And it's not totally clear why these, why these people die. We're not told whether they got sick or uh, whether they were murdered or anything like that. But the whole framework of this story about going to Moab and leaving the place of bread does suggest that in some ways this was because they'd wandered away from the Lord. We don't know exactly why. It's not, it's not clear. But in some ways, whenever we take that spiritual journey away from the place of God's provision into the chaos of the world, we expose ourselves to evil. We take ourselves away from God's protection. And that's what happens to Naomi and her family. And what's true of that family is actually true of all of us. We were thinking last week about where, where is God when it hurts. And we said that suffering is always under God's control. But we need to also be clear that the ultimate route back of all of the suffering in our world comes from whenever our ancestors wandered away from the Lord. When they chose to reject his provision, they chose to reject his promises and chose to to turn their backs on him. And that is the source of every evil and bad thing in our world. We can't always sort of draw a straight connection and say, I've done something wrong and now I'm going to get run over by a bus. But everything that happens in our world that is wrong is ultimately traceable back to our turning away from the Lord. So just like uh, this family from Breadhouse, we all have wandered away from the Lord. And so this story, I think, is, is encouraging us to say, don't follow them. The consequences are not going to be good it's tempting sometimes to, to go looking to, for provision for ourselves. Sometimes life isn't rosy in God's kingdom. Sometimes we can feel like God isn't providing us with the husband or the wife that we need or the children that we long for or the job that we want or the pay rise that we want. All of these things are tempting things for us to think, oh, I need to take this into my own hands. And of course, we need to, we need to think about how we provide for ourselves. But don't do that by wandering away from the Lord by turning towards a different way of life, by turning away uh, towards uh, false gods and false promises and false hopes. So we've wandered away. That's the first point. But then secondly, uh, verse 6, God has come to our aid. We don't know how long it took, but eventually there was good news uh, coming to Naomi in the fields of Moab. Verse 6, the Lord had visited his people and given them food. This is a huge verse. I'm going to spend a whole point on this verse because this is like a turning point in the whole book of Ruth. From So far, it's been a story of going downhill, of people wandering away from the Lord, of them essentially being judged by God. But now it's going to all be a story about God's grace. It's going to be a story about God providing a way to bring this family back to him. And it all starts with God visiting his people, uh, coming to the help of his people in Bread House. You could say God is kind of restocking the house of bread. There's not going to be a famine anymore in Bethlehem. 
it's going to be full of food again. And um, I think we should sort of see this a bit like, you know, whenever our supermarkets are kind of run out of bread. That's a surprise to us, isn't it? Because we expect them to have full, full shelves. And so if, if your supermarket is kind of restocking its shelves full of bread again, you're not surprised about that. You expect it. And that's how we should see this verse. God has promised to be with his people in bread house. He's promised to protect them. And so when he kind of restocks the house of bread, that is exactly what we expect. It's probably just another normal harvest, another uh, sort of rainy season and then the harvest and everything. But to those people who who believe in God's promises, they're, they're able to see that God had visited his people and come to their help. And so that's one of the things Ruth is going to teach us. It's going to try and teach us how even our ordinary experiences in life, when we understand that God has made promises to us, we can start seeing them with the eyes of faith. They're not just ordinary harvests. It's not just God's ordinary provision for you or or, or an ordinary event. It's it's actually God coming to our aid. And of course, the, the key fundamental time in the Bible that God comes to the aid of his people is in the birth of the Lord Jesus. And so it's interesting to read that when Jesus is going to come and be born in Bethlehem, in Bread House, um, his uncle uh, sings a song all about how God has come and visited his people uh, to come and provide a light to those who are dwelling in darkness and in the land of the shadow of death. When we we read uh, in the New Testament that Jesus has come, we're seeing that God has kept his promises And he's come to step in to take away the darkness. He's come to take away our bitterness and our hurt and our suffering and our death. That is the revolutionary news of the gospel, that God has visited his people in the house of bread. So if you're wondering what bread house means, how do you find bread house? Well, at the center of bread house for us is the Lord Jesus, this one who was born in the house of bread in Bethlehem, who was descended from the king of who came from Bethlehem, David, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our provision from God. And we'll find out more about that over the next few weeks. But what this means is because God has visited his people to give them bread, finally, it is now time to come home. So have a look at verse 7. Lovely set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. She's realized this is going to be her best hope now, is to come back to the promised land, come back to the bread, house of bread. Um, and I suppose that raises a question. Well, if this story is teaching us something about a, a wandering away from the Lord, what does it look like to kind of come back to the Lord? Because obviously we can't go to the promised land now and expect to find God providing for us there. And really the whole rest of the book of Ruth is going to show us, I think, what it looks like to return to the Lord. And the answer is really faith. It's going to be putting our trust in God's promises and, and, um, and living that out in practice. But we'll begin to see a little bit of what that looks like today. And we see that when there's a crisis point on the road back to Breadhouse. Uh, Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, verse 8, Go, return, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. So Naomi's saying here, look guys, we need to reckon with the reality. You're two young girls. You could still get married. You could still have a family. There's hope for you. You can find husbands. And did you see what, what finding a husband means? It means finding rest. 
okay? And that's really important because the book of Ruth is not a story about how to find a husband. It's a story about how to find rest. It's how to find rest, how to find rest in the place of God's provision. And so whenever we're reading about people looking for husbands in Ruth, I think we can do something and say, okay, that's telling us a little bit of what it looks like to find rest in the promised land, in the place of God's provision. And so that means that then these two women, uh, the two daughters-in-law, offer two very different approaches to looking for rest. So have a look at verse 14. Uh, Orpah, uh, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth... Uh, clung to her. And that's a really a kiss goodbye. Verse 15, uh, Naomi says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Orpah decides, okay, I think you're right. There's no hope for me as a Moabite woman to find a husband in Israel. I'm better off going back to my people and to my gods. And um, it's interesting. Um, if you're wondering what Orpah's name means, people will say that apparently it means neck. Because what you kind of see of Orpah is like the back of her neck as she heads back home to her country. And in a way, what, what we're seeing is she's writing herself out of God's story. She kind of says, OK, I don't want to be part of this anymore. Um, and she heads back to her homeland. But the thing is, her decision makes sense, doesn't it? In worldly, kind of earthly terms, if you didn't have any trust in God, it would actually be right to kind of go back to Moab. And so Orpah, if you like, is, is a kind of a picture of the broad way that leads to destruction. It, it makes sense, but ultimately Orpah writes herself out of this story. All we see of her, all we know of her, is her neck. And that means then Ruth offers a picture of the narrow way that leads to life. Uh, verse, verse 14, we're told Ruth clung to her. And that's the same word that gets used whenever a man and a woman come together and become one, uh, one thing. They, they, the man will cling to his wife, and they become one flesh. And that's what Ruth is doing here. She's, she's not going to go back and try and find a new family anymore in Moab. She's going to stick with the family that, that she's got. She's going to cling and commit, continue to be a faith, faithful wife, even though her husband has died. No Moabite husbands for her, thank you very much. And uh, you're probably wondering what Ruth's name means. Um, and the answer is we don't know, actually. This is the one we don't know about because uh, it's not a Hebrew name. And I wonder if what, what, it, what it's kind of saying is, in some ways, Ruth is kind of writing her own story here. She's almost the character who does the, the big change in this story because she starts life as a Moabite woman and she becomes uh, somebody who's very much part of God's family. And the way she does that, the way she writes her own story is in this great speech in verse 16. Just have a look at it. Um, over the page there. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. This is a woman who's committed to her marriage vows, isn't she? This is kind of to death do us part. She's not going to have a Moabite husband. She's going to put all her hopes in the Lord, the God of Israel. And so this is, this is Ruth's faith, isn't it? And in, in, in exercising this faith, in putting her hopes in God, she's literally transcending her past. She's no longer one of these horrible, idolatrous Moabite women who cause problems. 
She's become one of God's family. She's put her hopes in the God of Israel. And that's what faith can do. I don't know what your past is like. I don't know what problems or burdens you're carrying at the moment. I don't know whether you feel like God uh, couldn't accept you because of something you've done. But I hope you can take a little lesson from Ruth here that actually your past doesn't matter. When you put your trust in God, he can accept you on the basis of his strength and his purposes and ultimately on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're nearly done, but there is a third approach that we see in these verses because there is a third woman, isn't there, on the road back to Breadhouse, and that's Naomi. And she does the physical journey back to Bethlehem, but she doesn't seem to really do the spiritual journey, does she? She's kind of going back to Bethlehem in body, but not in soul. Because she, when she, gets back, to, uh, when she get back, gets back to Bethlehem, she says, I went away full, the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me lovely when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Lovely is coming back to Breadhouse as a bitter woman. She's not expecting much from God anymore. It's, her life has been a disaster as far as she's concerned. She's very much still in spiritual darkness as she comes back to Bethlehem. And that's a, a reminder, I think, that because of the messiness of our world, whenever we, whenever we turn away from the place of God's provision and go into the world, whenever we turn away from God, life gets messy. People get hurt. We can, we can really be broken and messed up. It can be really hard to trust God again because we get so damaged. Well, we're going to see over the next few weeks how God deals so gently with Lovely and begins to show her uh, that her life is not all about her bitterness. But I think even from this story, we can, we can see that what she really needs at the end of the day is, is the simple faith of Ruth. That simple ability to say, you know what, I'm going to trust in God, whatever the circumstances. I'm going to put my hope in him. Uh, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. So friends, let me, um, let me kind of conclude by encouraging you that if your life is messy, if you are carrying hurt or burdens at the moment, please don't let that stop you from, from just trusting that the Lord is the one who's promised to provide. He's come to us in the Lord Jesus and he promises to uh, give us a future and a hope with him. And uh, I just want to point you very finally to the final couple of uh, words of this chapter. Do you see that Ruth and Naomi come to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest? Now, that, you could easily read that as kind of, okay, the reading's done, let's move on. Uh, this is just a kind of a time kind of stamp. But I think there's more to it than that. Because as we read this story as people who know that God has visited his people in the house of bread, we know that actually this is, this is meaningful, this barley harvest. This is like the beginning of God providing for his people. This is God giving us a sense of anticipation as we read this story, that Naomi and Ruth are coming back with this bitterness and all this baggage, but God is going to do something different in this barley harvest at this time to bless them and to provide for them as he keeps his promises. So come back next week and we'll see how God does provide for Ruth and Naomi in this barley harvest. Um, But we've got a couple of minutes uh, just to... um, just to discuss, uh, just around your tables, um, whether you find this story kind of connecting with anything you've experienced uh, or anything, anyone you know, 
and whether it might have anything to say to us. So why don't we just discuss that for a couple of minutes and then I'll, I'll wrap up. Guys, I'll, I'll just interrupt there. Sorry that wasn't very long, but maybe that just begins to get, get us chatting and feel free to kind of carry, carry that on. Um, but I'll just close now so that if anyone needs to rush off, they can do, okay? So let's, um, let's pray. Um, Father, thank you for uh, this little story of Ruth and of her mother-in-law, Naomi. And we thank you for showing us something of uh, how we can relate to you. And we pray that you'd show us more over the next while. And we pray, even as we go back to our workplaces today, that you'd give us a sense of you being the God who provides for us in the Lord Jesus Christ and in this world. We pray in his name. Amen.